Welcome to week one of the Verified Series podcast, where we dive deeper into the content from Sunday's message. This week, we have Mark Nelson, our Greece Campus pastor, joining us. Thanks for being here, Mark. Yeah, it's great to be with you. My name is Courtney, and this is the Verified Series podcast. So before we jump in, fun fact, give us a fun fact about you. What don't most people know? Oh, man, fun fact. Um... I don't know if most people know that I'm the only Mets fan on our church staff. Wow, that's that's fantastic, and yeah. I'm sure that there's a really great reason for that. <laughs> yes, there is. It's been a long life. It's lonely at the bottom, isn't it? Well, I would say it's pretty lonely. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Thank you for rubbing that in. No problem. No problem. Uh, well, let's let's jump right in here. Um, so, Mark, in your message on Sunday, I loved that you said that the mark of a true believer isn't a claim of sinlessness, but of sinfulness. Hmm. Uh, that really caused me to wonder about the victory over sin that Christians do have. Uh, what about a passage like 1 Corinthians 5.17 that talks about that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Does that suggest that our struggle with sin is over when we become a Christian? Oh, yeah. Wow. That's a great question. Uh, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of Christians who are confused in this area. I know myself, I was for decades as a believer, uh, because it's, it's clear, you know, from what Paul teaches in Romans 6, that we've been given power over sin. Our sinful, our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. So we're no longer slaves to sin. That means we no longer have to obey sin as our master. Uh, you know, we can always choose to do what's right because of the power of the Spirit in our lives. But at the same time, every believer, if they're being honest, will have to admit to this continued struggle with sin. Uh, and, you know, much of the New Testament, m- many of the New Testament uh, writers, the apostles, um, they command us and they encourage us to avoid sinning, which wouldn't even be necessary if this struggle wasn't real in the life of a Christian. I think what we need to understand is that followers of Jesus are people who possess two competing natures. We were born with a sinful nature, and upon putting our faith in Jesus, we add to that a new nature. So then, you know, how is it that that, you know, old is gone and the new has come, as Scripture teaches? Well, this is speaking of our completely new position before God, our new identity in His sight, that, yeah, positionally, I was once in Adam, as Romans 5 talks about, but now I am in Christ after putting my faith in him, that when God views me, all he sees is the righteousness of Christ. So in that sense, my old sinful self has been crucified. I'm not the same person anymore, but experientially, we still battle this old sinful nature. In fact, in Romans 7, you know, we see Paul wrestling with this in his own Christian experience. And I think it's something that every Christian can relate to. You know, the things that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. And the things that I I do want to do, I can't seem to do them. But the great news for all of us is that we have new tools available for battling it, the new nature given to us through the Spirit. But how would this impact Christians maybe on a daily basis? Uh, Yeah, I think it's got a lot of practical outworkings. I think this, this is where a lot of Christians can get into trouble because, you know, they, they, they kind of wrongly understand this and, and they think, man, that because they've died to sin, that, that they have to be perfect. It means they have to be perfect. Um, that if they're not perfect, they're kind of letting God down or giving, giving Christianity a black eye. 
Um, and I think, you know, often hypocrisy is actually the result of, of this kind of thinking because, you know, often uh, hypocrisy is thought to be synonymous with Christianity because there's this wrong assumption out there that because Christians strive for a particular standard that they're fake if they don't actually achieve that standard. But hypocrisy isn't defined by a Christian who struggles with sin, but by a believer who pretends that they don't struggle with it. That's, I think, where the hypocrisy comes in. I've heard that people have wondered before, and and I've wondered this before as well, if Jesus has forgiven us all in full, then why do we need to continue to confess our sins? Like when I wake up tomorrow and I sin, or maybe even later on today, why do we need to confess those sins? Aren't they taken care of anyway? Hmm, yeah. Well, yes, they are, but there's still a great value in continued confession of sins as a practice in our lives. You see, when when we confess our sins or admit our sins, we are in essence agreeing with God about the nature of that sin, that it's rebellious and inappropriate in the life of a believer. Additionally, when we confess our sin, we actually remove this relational barrier that we've set up between ourselves and God. It kind of reminds me of what David wrote in Psalm 66, 18, when, when he said uh, that if he had not confessed the sin in his heart, <clears throat> then the Lord would not have listened. Um, you know, even though that's an Old Testament context, we can see the effect that unconfessed sin had in terms of a broken relationship. This, this relational barrier that had, you know, come up between him and God. And so for a Christian, um, you know, living today in the New Testament, the issue is not acceptance by God, but fellowship with God. Okay. I, so that's helpful in seeing how confession is important. But then do we also need to ask for forgiveness? Yeah, great question. I, I think that, you know, you could say that in a sense, we don't have to ask for forgiveness of each sin from God since they've already been completely forgiven. Now, you know, don't confuse uh, sin against others with sin against God in this case. We, we actually often need to ask others for their forgiveness. But, but God has forgiven us in full. So uh, you could say that we don't need to ask uh, him for forgiveness. That's already been granted, but we do need to confess or admit those sins to God. And, and John is assuming, uh, you know, as we've been looking at 1 John, he's assuming that this should not be an issue for believers because people who've confessed sin confess sins. In other words, those who have confessed sin generally and that they've acknowledged their inherent sinfulness and their need for a savior, those people should have no problem confessing sins in particular. They are people of confession, you could say. On Sunday, you you introduced us to the concept of Gnosticism, hmm. uh, and you mentioned that it's based on the root word knowledge, yeah. uh, the belief that spiritual things are good, but matter itself is inherently evil, and that if a person just uh, works to achieve some higher level of spiritual knowledge, then they don't really need to worry about their behavior because the physical world isn't what matters anyway. Uh, so why is this so important for us to understand as Christians today? Yeah, well, it's crucial for Christians today to understand this because I believe that Gnosticism is really still very much alive and well in the lives of Christians. And it's, it's really just another in a long line of strategies that people have come up with to kind of rationalize their sin and to find ways to excuse it. It, it kind of goes all the way back to the garden, to, to Adam and Eve. You know, they, they sinned and then they, you know, they acted as if they could hide from God. And, and that's still our tendency today. We'd like to think that we can somehow hide our rebellion against God. So we tend to you know, compartmentalize our lives. And the easiest way to do this is if we can find a way 
to disconnect the spiritual from the physical. You know, so we'll we'll begin to put things in categories. You know, we'll have the sacred versus the secular, for example. Wait, just a second. Uh, sacred versus secular. What do you what do you mean by that? Oh, right. Well, you know, for example, a church service um, someone might consider sacred, but a, a date night with your wife that's secular, or a Bible study is sacred, but a sporting event is secular, or a, a church building is like a sacred space, but my office cubicle is secular. And and then what happens is that we get to the place where we begin to you know be okay with behaving very differently in those contexts. But what if we can get to the place where we recognize that life was never meant to be divided like that, that it all exists to bring God glory? I think we could begin to live a very different way, a much more holistic way that brings our faith into every area of our life. You know, then we realize that we can worship God through the most common of means. You know, the song that pops up on the radio, like maybe it's Coldplay, you're, you're listening to Imagine Dragons and, you know, you just are, are enjoying music um, as, you know, as a gift from God, generally speaking. Uh, and, and actually speaking of music, I, I remember, you know, when I was a teenager, just there were moments that I was, I was frustrated because uh, I would be enjoying a, a particular band, a particular artist, um, a song, and, you know, someone from my church or maybe even my own parents would say, you know, Mark, that just seems like that's worldly music. That, that's worldly. You shouldn't be listening to it. And I think, you know, why is it worldly? What makes it worldly? I mean, you know, maybe the, the, the same person that, that kind of uh, challenged me on listening to worldly music was also enjoying popular music from the 40s or 50s or 60s. Why was the music I enjoyed worldly simply because it was written this year? Um, so, I, you know, I think that those kinds of, uh, of areas are where we can begin to see some of this fleshed out in ways that, that really begin to make sense. And I think another thought that kind of goes hand in hand with this is, is just the idea that, you know, well, hey, you know, may, yeah, maybe that music isn't, it's not sacred music, or maybe it's not secular, but it kind of sits in a neutral zone. Yeah, it's kind of neutral music, so it'd be okay to listen to. It's not going to help you, but it's not going to harm you. And, and you know that—that's something that I think we should call into question as well, because you know, again, using that example of perhaps a, a Coldplay song that, that doesn't have anything um, that resists God's truth in it. Uh, you know, that's a great example. You know, of of something that's not quote unquote sacred or intended to honor Christ, but is a generally good expression of God's good gift of music. And unless and until, for example, a song begins to promote harmful ideas, then by design, in essence, they bring glory to the God that created everything. And so, you know, I think that we've got to be careful about not setting up these arbitrary standards based on preference, where we we raise them up to, um, you know, even a standard that would almost seem to be equal with God's word. When we do that, we actually devalue um, the value of God's word and his truth. And so, you know, again, we need to remember, and and uh, I think it's super important that we, we recognize that it, it is God who is light, and so he gets to define the right, not not faulty human beings. Um, and because that light makes its way into every corner of our lives, there's nothing off limits um, in terms of you know, what should honor him. And in a world that's constantly encouraging us to you know, find your own truth, or it's a popular notion today that you know, everyone has kind of their own truth, my truth, someone might say, uh, it's important to remember that whatever, you know, however we define that, that our own truth, whatever that means, must always give way to what God has revealed to be objectively true. Um, as defined by the God of light. 
Well, thanks so much, Mark. This has been incredibly uh, helpful. It's been insightful. And uh, I hope that's, that's true for the people that have tuned in to listen to this. So thanks so much for helping me digest Sunday's message yeah. just a little bit more. Thank you. It's been good to be here. Well, we hope you learned something new today. And if anything we discussed today sparked a question, we'd love to hear from you. There's a link in the show notes where you can submit your questions. And if you missed this week's message or would like to learn more, head to northridgerochester.com. And join us next week when we sit down with Aaron Hickson for our next episode. My name is Courtney, and thanks for listening to the Verified Series Podcast.